You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as normal, I'd like to start with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners from uh, London, Reading, Guildford, Nottingham, Manchester, Watford, Brighton, Harrogate, Leicester, Salisbury, Red Hill, Gloucester, Bournemouth, Leeds and Hull. And also from Dublin and Cork in the Republic of Ireland, Madrid in Spain, Piemonte in Italy, Milan in Italy, Fribourg in Switzerland, Stockholm in Sweden, Vastmanland in Sweden, Kalmar in Sweden, Bergen in Norway, Breda in the Netherlands, Istanbul in Turkey, Sydney, Australia, Melbourne, Australia, Auckland in New Zealand, Chicago in the USA, and Colorado in the USA. So, a big shout out to all those new listeners. Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show. And indeed, a shout out to everyone who's listening right across the world, wherever you may be. I really appreciate you taking half an hour out of your week to catch up on the latest GDPR-related news. And uh, I hope you enjoy each edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And if you have any comments or feedback, please do send them through to me at podcasts at insurety, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y, .co.uk. I do read every single uh, response that you send in. I don't have time, unfortunately, to reply to all of them, but please be assured that any emails you do send to that address are read. And uh, I'll be talking to you in a moment, telling you what's coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have some details of a data breach from the Radisson Hotels group. We have the results of a survey into how many companies are taking account of GDPR when they're looking at how they dispose of redundant IT equipment or indeed dispose of uh, archived paper data records. We have an update on the Data Protection World Forum, which is taking place at Excel in London later this month. And then our major article this week is on how Google and Facebook are getting around GDPR, how they are manipulating users so that uh, they can avoid the aspects of GDPR affecting them too seriously in how they conduct their business and particularly in how they can protect their advertising revenue. So, yet again, another packed episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR weekly show. That's always one word, GDPR weekly show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. (laughs) 
You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Radisson's Hotel Group have had a data breach reported this week. What makes this breach interesting is not perhaps the volume of data breached, which is not great when you compare it to the likes of the Facebook or British Airways data breaches that we've been covering in the last few weeks, but rather the delay that Radisson's have had in reporting this data breach between the period when they found out about the data breach and when they chose to report it not just to their tires but of course to the relevant information commissioner and as regular listeners will know basically GDPR gives you 72 hours between when you discover a data breach or you're made aware of a data breach and when you need to report that to the ICO. However in Radisson's case it appears that rather than 72 hours, we're actually talking a number of weeks because Radisson discovered the breach on the 11th of September. However, they didn't release any details about it until the 1st of October. So some 19 days later, almost three weeks later. Now, it may be, of course, that they didn't argue well although it had a report on the 11th of September that it took them until the 1st of October to find out what had happened and that may well be true but that does not excuse them from the fact that they should have reported it to the relevant ICO within 72 hours so they should have reported it to the ICO by the 14th of September and in fact did not report it until the 1st of October Uh, whilst it's not yet known whether any UK data is involved or indeed any EU data it would seem likely that EU data will be involved given that the group has its headquarters in the EU in Brussels and the group has quite a well-known range of hotels including Park Plaza, Park Inn, the Radisson Blue, Radisson Red, Country Inn and Suites and the Radisson Collection. And it appears that the breach affected members of the Radisson loyalty scheme. Radisson say that as far as they're able to establish no credit card information, passwords or previous hotel stays or future reservations were exposed. However, customers' addresses and details of their loyalty scheme were exposed. And so it's felt that the data taken includes names, addresses, country residence, email addresses, and in some cases the company name and phone number, the Radisson Rewards member number, and their frequent flyer numbers. Radisson, when it updated the ICO and the press, said that upon identifying the issue, the hotel group had ensured that all unauthorised access had been blocked, and all affected my member accounts have been secured and flagged for monitoring. The group told its loyalty members that while the ongoing risk to your Radisson's rewards account is low, please monitor your account for any suspicious activity. The group also warned members that third parties may claim to be Radisson's rewards and attempt to gather personal information by deception, such as using links to fake websites or spear phishing as we discussed in last week's episode of the GDPR weekly show. 
Radisson, when we contacted them, said that Radisson Rewards takes this incident very seriously and is conducting an ongoing extensive investigation into the incident to help prevent data privacy incidents from happening again in the future. So rather like the British Airways case, uh, we will of course keep you updated on any news on this in the next few weeks and particularly what the ICO is looking to do with regards to penalties to Radisson for being late in reporting the data breach. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The results of a survey released by ProBrand, a IT services company, this week were interesting in that the survey concentrated on how aware companies were of their obligations under GDPR when disposing of redundant computer equipment, whether that be uh, redundant because it has been replaced or through upgrading or redundant because it was faulty. But nonetheless, equipment which would have contained personal data and how much care they were taking to actually ensure that any such personal data was destroyed from the uh, equipment. What perhaps was interesting was when they looked at different industries and particularly in the trades and plumbing industry they found that 47% of those people who disposed of computer equipment within the last six months actually had done nothing at all to wipe the data from the devices they were disposing of and hadn't really thought about it as being something that they needed to do. But if that sounds bad, well, they weren't the worst. Actually, transportation companies were found to be the worst, where 72% of transportation companies who'd replaced their hardware in the last six months said they hadn't actually thought about or hadn't taken steps relative to GDPR to remove any sensitive data from their equipment before they disposed of it. And uh, the actual list is quite interesting. So 72% of people in transportation hadn't taken the necessary steps. 62% of people in sales and marketing hadn't taken the necessary steps. That one perhaps is surprising because you would expect sales and marketing to be one area of the company or one area of business that would be more acute to the issues of GDPR than perhaps others. But nonetheless, 62% of sales and marketing companies who replaced equipment who took part in the survey hadn't taken GDPR into account with regard to how they disposed of sensitive data. 59% of staff in manufacturing companies said they hadn't. 58% in utilities, 57% in retail, 54% in education. 49% in leisure and travel, 45% in healthcare, and again, that is perhaps higher than we would have hoped because healthcare, you would hope, were now well aware of GDPR and would have better procedures in place to ensure that all their data was securely wiped before disposing of any hardware. A trades, as we said, plumbers, uh, carpenters, and so on, 44%. And the best results were from the information and communication sector, so the IT sector, which I guess you'd expect. But even here, 
39%, so almost one, almost four out of 10 uh, people who took part in the survey who disposed of equipment had not thought to check that they had securely disposed of the data stored on the equipment before getting rid of it. Uh, it really is important that, you know, when you're dumping um, IT equipment in particular for any reason, but also to bear in mind that GDPR covers paper documents as well as electronics, you need to think about when you're disposing of old paper records as well. Then in case of paper it is being securely threaded and in case of uh, IT hardware that you are actually taking steps to not just delete files because if you just delete files on a hard drive people who know what they're doing can easy, fairly easily recover them again. You really do need some software which is specifically designed to wipe data from a hard drive uh, before you actually dispose that equipment because remember that as the data controller that data falls still under your remit and so it's very important that you satisfy yourself that that data has been securely destroyed before you allow anyone to chuck the IT equipment into a skip or take it to a charity shop or to a second-hand reseller however you choose to dispose of your redundant equipment but do make sure you've got good processes in place to deal with the destruction of old data and if you need any help with that of course we'd be delighted to help you so if you need any help please reach out to us by dropping us an email at podcasts at insurety.co.uk that's e-n-s-u-r-e-t-y dot co UK. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. An event for your diaries uh, on the 20th and 21st of November 2018 at the XL Conference Centre in London uh, is the Data Protection World Forum. Uh, it's a conference spread over two days. There are a number of GDPR-related topics coming up at the conference, including uh, GDPR, the future of marketing and advertising, a GDPR health check, GDPR and HR, how to achieve ongoing compliance, and of course GDPR and HR is something that we've been talking about in this episode of the podcast, and also business development in a post-GDPR world, and I think that's something as well which would be of interest to lots of people of just how does GDPR impact upon business development and how do we make sure that business continues to develop for everyone, even accepting the privacy constraints that GDPR places on us. So it's promising to be a really good conference and expo. Excel, if you don't know it, is very easy to get to. It's out in Docklands, just to the east of London. Um, it's by the Jubilee Line for underground. Um, it's also very close to London City Airport so for visitors from overseas it's very easy to arrive there and it also has other good transport links. Uh, it's not great though to drive to it has to be said so it's a good case to use public transport uh, most definitely if you can because it makes your journey there much much simpler. I'm going to be there on both days. If you'd like to meet up with me during the course of the Protection World, Data Protection World Forum, then of course I'd be delighted to meet with you.
please just drop me an email to podcasts at insurity.co.uk with a note of which date, the 20th or the 21st, works best for you. And uh, we can arrange to meet at the conference. Um, I'll be talking some more about the conference in uh, a future episode of the podcast between now and November. And uh, indeed, hopefully we'll be getting to interview one of the organisers and uh, have that discussion. But just a note for your diary, so if you haven't got it in there already, please pencil in the dates, 20th and 21st November at XL in London. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Our main article this week is on how Google and Facebook manipulate users to circumvent GDPR. And really looking at how the illusion of choice presented by Google and Facebook in fact amounts to an ultimatum. Almost six months since GDPR came into effect, it's now become clear how tech giants like Facebook and Google are handling the new guidelines, or perhaps more specifically, how they're working their way around them. I should perhaps add that there are currently lawsuits by Austrian privacy advocate Matt Sprems and a report by the Norwegian Consumer Agency, each spelling out ways the two tech giants are manipulating their users to get around the rules. Matt Sprems has filed four lawsuits totaling $8.8 billion against Facebook and Google, claiming a number of abuses relating to data minimisation and their take-it-or-leave-it privacy policies. Meanwhile, the report from the Norwegian Consumer Agency, um, titled Deceived by Design, is a report which the agency's put together, and in some 44 pages it goes in-depth to cover the ways that Facebook and Google in particular are using deceptive settings and dark patterns to work around the GDPR rules. So let's pause for a moment to think why Facebook and Google would want to do this. Well, let's look at what Google and Facebook actually are. Are they really a search engine and a social media platform, as they'd like everyone to think? Or are they actually very big ad networks? Well, of course, the truth is that they're both but it's the ad network side of things for both of them where they are now generating substantial amounts of revenue. Indeed, Google earned around $80 billion in ad revenue in 2016. Now, compared to Google, Facebook's a mere blot on the on the left and a distant second in terms of market share. But nonetheless, together, it's estimated that the two companies account for 56 to 57% of all digital advertising spend across the internet, because the duo, of course, are worldwide, and with the exception of China, they are one and two worldwide. The reason that Google and Facebook can make such a killing selling ads is that they've collected loads and loads of user data so that when they're selling their ad platform to people wanting to buy ads, they can argue that they can accurately target ads to the right people. They collect data from millions of people, millions of times every year. 
millions of data points about you, about your family, and even on people that don't use their services. It's very easy for people to say, oh, well, that's why I don't use Facebook. Well, guess what? You don't need to use Facebook for Facebook to gather information on you. Um, if you upload a family photograph, Facebook will probably instantly recognise you. It may well recognise your parents. It may well recognise your children too, even if incidentally they're not on Facebook. Many critics call these shadow profiles. Facebook doesn't like that term, but it does admit to the practice of tracking non-users. Google does it too. The bottom line is that Facebook and Google have achieved their place in the ad market by perfecting data collection where the point where anyone with anything to sell can find someone who will buy it using either Facebook or Google or both ad targeting. And as far as Facebook and Google are concerned, GDPR was seen as a threat that could end all of that. Let's go back a moment to the report from the Norwegian Consumer Agency. The report was limited in scope to looking at the settings and user interface provided by Google, Facebook and Windows 10. It specifically highlights the ways in which they are designed to funnel users towards the vendor's desired configuration, i.e. that Google, Facebook and indeed Microsoft are trying to funnel you towards the configuration that they want you to have because it enables them to gain the maximum amount of data rather than the outcome which might have the most privacy for you. The findings in the report show that all three of these organisations use privacy intrusive default settings, misleading wording, they give users an illusion of control while hiding away privacy friendly choices and they also prevent, present users with take-it-or-leave-it choices and choice architectures where choosing a privacy-friendly option simply seems to require too much effort from the user. Now, if we look back at GDPR, the idea of GDPR was always to give individual users control over their personal data. And that includes vendors having to notify users when data has been collected telling them what the data will be used for, and sometimes even making the data portable or deletable. None of these things mesh well with Google or Facebook's modus operandi. Google and Facebook both carry out a number of psychological tricks, which they play on their users to help nudge the user in the intended direction. In fact, nudging is one of the terms it takes time to spell out. Nudging can be used exploitively to achieve an intended result. When it's done deliberately to mislead, it's sometimes known as dark patterns, i.e. features of interface design crafted to trick users into doing things they might not want to do, but which benefit the business in question. So you might be thinking, well, just how do Google and Facebook do this? Well. They begin, of course, from a position of trust. And if users trust the service provider, many will assume that the service provider knows what's best for them, i.e. best for the user. This, coupled with the suspicion that tampering with the default settings might remove important functionality, 
will give many users a tendency to simply leave the default settings alone. In fact, in a study recently, it was found that less than 5% of uh, Google or Facebook users change any of their settings at all. The report, which I mentioned earlier, examines dozens of examples from all three companies, paying special attention to the way in which they guide, or in some cases even mislead, users into selecting the optimal setting for the platform, rather than the optimal setting for the user's own privacy. Among the things it's found were that privacy-friendly choices are hidden from users, intrusive default settings that require long involved processes in order to change them, and so it deters the user from changing them to more privacy-friendly ones. Privacy settings are simply totally obscured and hidden. Pop-ups that pressure users to make a quick decision while omitting some key information. Not giving users the option to postpone any of these decisions. Generally, if you, and both platforms take you on a sort of lead you through a wizard solution but then users feel pressurised to make the decision there and then. They really don't want to go through all 16 steps a second time just to change something. And there may even be implied threats of that you will lose functionality or perhaps even your entire account will be shut down if certain options aren't chosen. In other cases, the illusion of control is given when in reality very little control exists on the user side. And it was noted that Facebook in particular gives the user an impression of control over use of third-party data to show ads, or it turns out the control is much more limited than it initially appears. Now, GDPR, when it was written, assumed, I think, that for a lot of cases, if companies wanted to share data with third parties, for whatever reason, and particularly if that was to be used to target ads at you, then the companies would need to ask for consent. Well, Facebook and Google just simply ignore all that. For example, Facebook presents users with a three-part GDPR pop-up that invites them to manage their data settings in order to adjust targeted advertising settings. The way this pop-up is designed routes the user to just click Accept and Continue, which leaves the setting on by default, rather than having to navigate to a whole separate screen to manually adjust their settings. Additionally, both services hide away or obscure pre-selected settings so that users who simply click through the Agree or Accept buttons never see the other options. Both Facebook and Google are accused of using deceptive wording that helps obscure what clicking Accept means in reality. Now, of course, ease of use is a kind of broad category but it relates to things like creating some designs that are more intuitive than others or using psychologically pleasing colours to help guide the user. Now, if you don't believe me on that, consider the fact that last year Google tested 41 different shades of blue to determine which received the best user response. And it becomes clear that these seemingly inane design choices have in fact been highly researched and refined. Now let's talk a little about facial recognition. In 2012, because of European data protection issues, Facebook's facial recognition technology was disabled for users in Europe. However, 
Facebook took advantage of the introduction of GDPR to reintroduce their facial recognition technology. Now, facial recognition technology deals in biometric data by its nature, and biometric data is classified as a special category of personal data under GDPR and requires specific consent from users. But let's look how Facebook framed the question. Facebook says, upon clicking through the Facebook GDPR pop-up, users are asked whether they consent to the use of facial recognition technologies. The technology is, according to the pop-up, used for purposes such as help to protect you from strangers using your photo, or to tell people with visual impairments who's in your photo or video. The next screen informs the user that if you keep facial recognition turned off, we won't be able to use this technology to tell you if a stranger has used your photo to impersonate you. If someone uses a screen reader, they won't be told when you're in a photo. This framing and wording, of course, nudges users towards the choice of presenting the alternative as ethically questionable or risky. Only focusing on the positives whilst completely ignoring the negatives is surely guiding the user to take an intended action. So, will the EU penalise Google or Facebook for this? Well, probably. The European Union has already shown a willingness to find Google billions of dollars. And as we saw last week, Facebook's just been fined half a million dollars. So, is the EU willing to find them? Well, yes, it almost certainly is. But the bigger question, surely, is do either Facebook or Google care? Because for both of these companies, even a $2.7 billion fine, which would be potentially fatal for many, many companies, is just a slap. And frankly, they may well decide to take the slap and just carry on. This is worrying because the presumption that lots of users would make, probably, is that they can trust Google and Facebook to protect their data and their privacy. But by all indications, that could prove to be naive. It's up to each and every one of us to pay attention to our settings and to try and manage our privacy as best we can. Because nobody else is going to do it for us. And who knows, maybe at the end of the day, most people will decide that it's all just too much to worry about and click through continue. They just opt for the path of least resistance and keep using the services of Google and Facebook just as they always have. One thing is for certain, that's definitely the outcome Google and Facebook are looking for. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR weekly show. That's always one word, GDPR weekly show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. By the way, following on from the last article, if you want to know how much data Doodle holds on you, then just log in to Doodle. And then go to https colon slash slash 
takeout, that's T-A-K-E-O-U-T, dot Google, dot com. And from there, you can download all the data that Google holds on you. All I'd say is be prepared, because it takes a while. Um, and it is quite enlightening, some would say shocking, how much data Google actually holds on you. So if you are interested, go to https colon slash slash takeout.google.com. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember, keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.